those types of characters, I think, are just so because none of us are perfect. There's none of us. We all have mistakes. We've all said things that we don't mean. We've all done things that we regret. And that's bringing humanity into the book. If you don't yep. know how to write characters that have problems and issues, then you're actually not writing any human that's realistic. Because we're all at fault at some point. And you should always take that into consideration. But you also have to make sure that you justify it with their intention. If you want the care to be loved and you care for them, you want their intention to be good, even though they may do something bad. Hey there, welcome to Lit Match, a podcast made to help writers find the best literary agent and business partner for their writing career. Thank you so much for joining me for these meaningful conversations with literary agents where you can learn about their manuscript wish list, how they agent, and many other invaluable publishing insights. I'm Abigail Perry, the host of Lit Match and a certified developmental editor who has also worked as an editorial intern at a literary agency. I'm always on the hunt for noteworthy literary agents who are making big differences in the world by advocating for authors and making their publishing dreams come true. Before we get into today's episode, I did want to mention that I do have a bonus episode featuring the first chapter of a nonfiction book represented by literary agent Tanya McKinnon, who was the show's most recent interview. Right now, that episode is still in production, but if you're a nonfiction writer especially, please keep a lookout. I will be producing that episode and releasing it in the near future. Future. Today, I can't wait to share this episode's brilliant guest. Her sharp eye for characters and her multi-talented role at her literary agency makes her a fascinating, invaluable business partner and colleague for both her clients, her fellow agents, and all the clients at the agency. Her name is Katie Shea Boudelier, and I'm honored to share her enthusiasm, her well-rounded expertise, and her love for great stories with you today. Katie Shea Boudelier has been a literary agent at the Donald Mass Literary Agency since 2011. In addition to advocating for her clients, she is the agency's rights director handling translation, audio, and selected film and TV rights. Katie focuses on commercial adult fiction and young adult fiction. She is always in the hunt for upmarket women's fiction, psychological suspense, and has a soft spot for coming-of-age fiction. She loves books that present big hooks, imperfect characters, and strong voices. Katie is committed to help achieve her clients' long-term careers, and she lives in the Jersey suburbs with her family. Katie was close to queries from July 2021 to March 28, 2022, and is now open to them. If you queried Katie during that time frame, it was deleted. So make sure to requery her. She's excited to receive all her new queries that are perfect for her manuscript wish list in her inbox. If you don't know about Katie and you're curious if she's the best agent for you, you've come to the right place. With great joy, I bring you Katie Shea Boudelier. Hi, everyone. We have a really special guest today, Katie Shea Boudelier. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. This is awesome. I always love talking about my story and giving a update on what I'm looking for. Perfect. And talking about your story, why don't you tell us about what brought you into agenting? I definitely have a story. I was a writer, just like many of you. I loved writing. I wanted to be a novelist. I did write something after college. I graduated with a journalism 
teacher, creative writing minor. But I knew I wanted to be more on the creative side, but I didn't really understand how to do that, like in order to make money. So I wrote and then I was like, how do I get this published? And I went online and did some research and I realized that you need a literary agent. So instead of querying, I actually didn't do any querying. I said, I'll just go work at one and kind of understand the business and stuff. I applied to a couple of internships in the city in Manhattan and ended up going with an agency called Five Print. I don't even think they're around anymore, um, but they took me on and I sat at a big circle table with a bunch of other interns and we read through the slush, literally paper. This is back in the day, we had paper coming in, we had mail. So we had also this round table go through these queries, stacks and pages of queries and check them off. We would actually put paper into envelopes. Unbelievable. I ended up loving it. I thought it was so interesting. Then I worked with Folio for a little bit. Meanwhile, I was waiting tables every night and working with that end and getting paid nothing. And then finally, I worked at a very small startup agency. I sold my first project with them. And then I took that project and ran with it. I emailed hundreds of agents. Hey, I just sold my first book. I'm looking for a bigger opportunity. And I ended up getting three offers from three different agencies. Commission only, by the way, this is not even a paid position. But Don was one of them, Don Moss. And we met and we had a lot of really interesting similarities in the way that we approach authors and everything that's on, develop them and be a part of their career and their development. And Don's just so brilliant and we really connected. I ended up going with Don Moss and I've been there now for 10 years in October. So I ended up taking on commission-only stuff, still reading tables. And I started to dig through backlist stuff at some point. Like Don's been around since the 80s. So he had a lot of science fantasy authors from the 80s, horror stuff. And I started doing rights checks on audio rights, right? So audio back in 2011, when I first started, audio was a really big deal. So I started looking at all the available backlists projects that still had audio rates available. And I just thought it was just fascinating. I ended up being able to sell a, a humongous amount of titles to Audible. It was a nice big deal. And then I was like, this is so interesting. I want to work more with the subrates stuff. So I ended up becoming a subrates director. And then probably in about two years, I was taking the, the department and now I've been running it probably for about seven years now. Wow. That's fascinating. Starting with snail mail, which seems like a foreign world these days. I mean, I love getting something in the mail, but probably reading a bunch of manuscripts in the mail was a lot harder than the time efficiency of having it sent to you email. Going from there and then moving into the audio rights and basically sales and of audio rights. And I feel like Audible and audiobooks in general, that is such a huge part of publishing these days, if not more of a percentage of what people are buying. Would you agree with that? Audio, I've been saying this for the last five years. I've been saying this at the London Book Fair. I've been there now for two years. But whenever I go and I talk to people, even the international record starting to do more audio too in their own territories. But audio is such a valuable right. I always tell my clients and my agency that I'll probably be able to sell it for a good amount of money depending on where they are, where a lot of publishers like to take on the rights because they have a whole nother audio department. I'm actually seeing some of my top authors get audio PR people. So now they actually have their own team for the audio, which is so amazing because, you know, they do need it. It's a whole bunch of sales, especially with women's 
Chip Psychological Suspense, they sell very well, sometimes even better than the print. So I knew that this has been going up and up and up, more value, more value over the last five years, been ringing everybody. If you can keep audio right now, trust me, we will be happy as things start to roll out because it's just becoming more and more popular. So how does that work? Do not all agencies have an audio rights director? Of like- course they do. Yeah, it's sub rights agent. Any type of rights director um, is going to be handling audio. Some agencies do have specifically somebody handling audio, but it's really just knowing who's taking on audio at because the, there's different players. Audible is not the only one. There's Recorded, there's Theater, there's Blackstone, there's Dreamscape, there's Podium. There's a lot of different publishers, even more now that are out. I'm pitching to constantly whenever we retain audio. And I know them, but now I've been in business for seven years. So they know that they can trust the material that they're bringing from me. Yeah. But it's great. I love it. It's so fun. It keeps you on your toes. Do you have any part in helping cast who's going to be the voice of the audiobook? In my agency, we definitely have audio and narrator approval. I always negotiate that my author is able to have approval over who's going to narrate. We can always throw out suggestions depending on who the audio publisher works with, but they can send us options of who they really think is going to do a good job. And do you get auditions that you listen to as well when you get those options? Samples. That's great. That's a, I love audiobooks personally, partly because I have a lot going on in my personal life and my work life. So audiobooks, it's that you can get it on the walk. You can have it in the car. You can do it while you're cooking dinner. And having that narrator is so important for it to be a narrator that you feel connects with the story and can really be the voice of that story. You said women's fiction and did you say psychological or did you say thrillers? Are two of the really big ones that are popular with audiobooks? Yeah, I, I mean, in nonfiction too. I, I don't personally represent nonfiction. We don't do a ton of nonfiction at DMLA, but nonfiction. Why do you think those particular genres? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I will say that more adults listen to audio. So YA, like seven years ago, was so hard to even stop. Like, eh, we don't really do. Now it's starting to catch up because teenagers are just listening to it on their phone when they're on the bus or whatever they're doing. But, you know, audio, accessible, like, again, you can just pop it in. Road trips with their family, you know, that's another big one for, like, children. Because I know, like, a lot of families are in the car and pick something to listen to while they're driving or summer. But with the pandemic, I feel like people are constantly looking for new ways to entertain themselves. I feel like some of my colleagues are like, all I do is listen to audio now. I don't even read. It's audio only. It's not my preference. I still like I love both. I love that you can slow things down when you read or even just be away from a screen at some point is wonderful. Personally, for me, it's funny. I bought Iron Widow for my husband for Christmas and I started to get the audiobook. He's like, you're cheating. You're cheating. You're not reading it. And I'm like, no, it's a different form of reading. And it's actually like, you know, quite accessible and popular, but it is different. It's a different way of absorbing stories, but absorbing stories nonetheless. You still get the check that you read. So you can tell your husband. (laughs) I'm still marking it on Goodreads and I'm done. So yeah. You know, not everybody can really listen. Like I have trouble. I'm too distracted. Well, it's really interesting because you brought up YA and you brought up adult readers and you are actually an agent that represents both, right? Yeah. So when you're representing both is how do you start to know the differences between when something is working really well as a book that's for middle graders or YA readers versus when a book is really working better for an adult audience? Because sometimes I've seen writers pitch stories that they think are YA, but actually work more as MG or maybe they 
want it to be MG, but it really is more adult content. How do you help writers start to identify this is actually the category that you're writing for? And these are some things that I look for with that. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that call it right now where they start to pick up something fresh and new. And there's a lot of crossover YA too that's like becoming a lot more popular right now like red, white, and royal blue. Mm -hmm. Like that's a really big one that's kind of on the cusp. That's an adult book, but it's really, it could be like a YA book. You know, and it really is, that book did so well because it was marketed correct. They were able to take that and be like, nope, it's adult. And, you know, now it has such a big crossover feel for it. I always look at the age, of course. It's like the number one thing, the age of the main character. Just to be very matter of fact, if it's any like 16, 17, 18, that's mainly YA, no matter what. In 2022, they call it like new adult. That category is really not taken off that well. It's like right. still in that like meshy, weird line of YA crossover. Yeah. But, you know, there's maturity in the voices, you know, which is really important to look at because of that crossover to middle grade, where it's younger YA, like 16, but if they feel like they're 15 or 13, 13 is also, in publishing so weird. 11, 12 is good for middle grade. Mm -hmm. YA, 16, 17, 18. And then crossover YA, I don't know, 23 to 28. And it's so weird that I'm saying that, but that's seriously how it works. It's so interesting because you said that the new adult hasn't really ever taken off, but it's there. What is it about the 20s? I think that nobody wants to actually create a new category. I think it's too much. Yeah. Just think about it. When I was in my 20s or whatever, or, you know, early 20s or Devil Wears Prada, that's quote unquote, new adult, but it's right. adult, but it's also younger adult. And again, it's not young adult. <laughs> no, but more like those millennials that are now adults. I feel like a lot of startup business books type of things, that age range, the college age range. Well, that's where you would have to really look at the maturity level. Okay. What they're going through and how much sexy time is in there. Curse words, whatever, like they throw that around, but also not too many, you know, and like the level of conversations that they're having or the different characters that they're going through. There's so many different variables. So looking at the place of where they are at that stage of their life. So one of my favorite books is Leaving Time by Jodi Pico. I love, love that story. And it's super interesting because the main character is a child that has multi-POV. There are adult voices in there and definitely strong adult voices in there. But I would say Jenna, who is the little girl, she's very mature for her age. Is it important that it's about the content or the sophistication or that they're paired with adult voices? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, again, so many variables. If you're dealing with a child who's literally going through adult situations, room, even though it's told by a younger five-year-old child, I forget how old he is in the actual book, but like that perspective so dark and scary, but only really through the eyes of an adult. An adult is really only going to understand it. You have to think about your readership. If it's a younger perspective, that's fine. But we also have to understand that as a teenager, really going to understand what really is going on. This is a great area. A big reason why we have you with us today is to talk about your manuscript wish list and the type of stories that you like to represent. Let us know what would you love to see in your inbox. That is the golden question. That's the question that we ask editors all the time. I am a big lover of coming of age. And when I say coming of age, 
So that's such a broad statement. What does it really mean? Because to me, her coming of age is not just YA, like never just a young adult coming of age to like be a little bit more mature, you know, or go through some type of hardship where they're really becoming more aware of themselves or they're going through something where they're going to finally make a decision for themselves. Coming of age can be an older woman who's going through changes in, in her life or a man or on all the spectrums of whatever this person is going through, there is some type of a coming of age aspect. So I'm always really into a story that has a character that has layers, that the writer has taken the time to really understand the character, not just on the surface and not just on the plot, but based on what this character has actually gone through and how that affects their decision-making or the way they interact with the other characters in the story. So I'm always looking at voice. I'm always, always looking at what they're bringing to the table and that I want to connect with them, but they're also taking this character and they are, they are putting them into a situation that feels exciting and interesting, scary, worrisome, whatever it is. There is some type of a situation that they're being thrown into. Now I'm just explaining what a novel is, but at the end of the day, these things, they, they take a lot of thought. They take a lot of process, take a lot of thinking because you're really writing about a human going through something. You can't just say, I'm going to write a romance novel about a girl who goes to a wedding and then she sees her old lover. But what about this girl? Why do I care about her? And what's going to happen? What's going to shock me at the end? What's going to happen with the bride? What's going to happen with the mother of the bride? What's going to happen with all the secondary characters? How are you going to make this more interesting and level it up to a place where they have to keep reading? I love contemporary realistic stories all the way. Young adult, adults. I always love bigger romancy love stories. I always love a little bit of speculative. I don't mind a little spec. That's fine. I always love genre stuff. I could do horror, but... Again, it can be super commercial, but it also could be super deep and interesting psychological suspense right in the domestic part. But it doesn't have to be domestic. I feel like those are becoming a little bit saturated. Like anywhere where a psychological suspense that's outside of them, make it a fun, interesting setting and take your characters there and then mess around with them there and figure out how you want to create some type of suspense there or thriller. Normally, someone's like murdered or dead. If somebody's murdered somewhere, just not in a neighborhood, make it more unique. And I still do love those stories. I do. I'm a big sucker for any type of domestic suspense. I always love, and I don't always have that, but stories that really make you cry at the end. I haven't found any of those. They're harder because you're really looking to pull at heartstrings that for a universe of people, you're getting to something that's personal to me while I'm reading it, even though it's happening to somebody that doesn't. So something that can make me cry why I don't. I really like more modern stories. I would be really interested in more things that are really happening today. All the new weird things that are happening with modern technology. But I could also be interested in a historical like 90s that feels really real and authentic to that time. That's what I'm good at. I'm good at holistic across the board and even you, dip into middle grade too would you call realistic contemporary stories your brand yeah, yeah. absolutely you're from donald moss's literary agency and i love don moss's book writing the breakout novel in it he talks about stakes public and private stakes and it's really interesting because he zeroes in on a really good point about how 
The stakes don't matter if you don't care about the character. You love imperfect characters. From what you were saying, it sounds like you really are drawn to these emotional stories, but they also have to have plots. They have to have big hooks. Are there any stories that either you represented or that you read and you just think, wow, this does exactly what it does. It pulls me in by character and keeps me loving the character. But the stakes are there in addition to not just because I love the character, so the stakes are higher just because I don't want something bad to happen to the character, but also something is happening to the character to make the character do something. Oh, God, you're going to put me on the spot. It's like so hard for me to think of all the books that I've worked on because they're all so good. One of my favorite books, actually, is Best Day Ever by Kara Ruda. It's like a psychological thriller, but her voice is actually is a male voice who already you know within the first few pages that he's taking his wife somewhere to go murder and it just takes place in one day but he's so horrible and cruel and terrible and the most sexist everything around him is awful but you just can't stop reading him Mm -hmm. and you already kind of know that what he's going to be doing is awful but you also feel like you're not so much caring about the main character you're caring about what's going to happen to the second dude. So the character, yeah. So he's going to get out of that. And I just think Kara Ruta did such a brilliant job. Like, I'll never forget reading that story because I read it on the couch at some point. I think my daughter was newly born. I just couldn't stop reading it. I, in four hours, I was done. Now, this is awesome. I ended up going out with it media and that sold it within two weeks. And stories like that where... This character was so developed. It's very contemporary, super wealthy type of white male kind of thing going on there. But, and you just hate him, but you, you also want to just, you want something bad to happen. Another great psychological thriller is Forgive You by Aggie Clemson. That's an amazing book. She really captures suburbia, new mom in, in D.C. And she captures a lot of the modern stuff that's going on, too. Aggie takes this character, this new mom. She's in D.C. She's trying to be a part of this mom or whatever. The part of mom. really try to be cool about it. And then all of a sudden, this guy's like flirting with her at the party. And then she barely even knew this guy. But then cops come banging at the door, say she's a suspect. And she's just like, I don't even know what's happening so apparently there's been somebody who hacked her name on i think it's facebook or instagram or one of those tinder things some type of social media outlet and she's basically been taken over and there's like a whole another person acting as her and she's been having correspondence with the guy who just got murdered so now she has to take herself and basically try to figure out who the heck is trying to frame her murder wow and it's so intense. And it's the whole book. And there's this backstory that happened to her in college where it's planting seeds. That's just so brilliant. And it all kind of comes together in the end. That was so brilliantly done. A big story out right now, The Roughest Draft by Emily Weberly and Austin Broca. They're my co-authors. They're married. They really know how to write about love. They're brilliant in regards to really creating characters to they just know how to bring vulnerability out with love you know and tapering it with business this book they're actually writing about two writers who had a book that did really really well big instant bestseller definitely a thing going on with them 
And then now they've filled out their contract, but the publishers want them to write another. They both are hesitant about it, but they both need the money. And there's all these other characters kind of pushing them to do this. And so they go out to this house, Florida, and they sit down together and they start to hash out this new story while also flashbacking back to what actually happened. And it all builds up to figuring out whether to be together uh, and what exactly happened. I thought it was so brilliant because God, that is a character-driven novel. You care about Trina. You care about Nathan. You care about the love. You care about their happiness. And what's at stake is this book. So you have that at stake with I Don't Forgive You. What's at stake like her reputation. The fact that she's not going to chill. But then all the emotional stakes are there. Hit her pattering through it. Mm-hmm. What best day ever. What's at stake is that the wife might get murdered. And that you want to make sure that this guy actually gets captured yeah. it only happens over the course of one death really yeah. fast pace which is so you know yeah so those are big stories sean david hutchinson has a bunch we are the ants which is incredible he's another beautiful really character driven novel that where you just love the character so much that you just want the world with them there's so many but those are just some examples of i could just keep talking about clients. that's great you love your clients you should love your clients you bring up someone like the narrator in Best Day Ever. And he's the kind of character, it sounds like, that we love to hate him. We can't stop watching him. Is there, are there multiple definitions then that you could say something qualifies as the perfect character? If someone is an imperfect character, do they have to be someone that we love to hate? No, 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 not at all. No, I love characters who are aware of their faults <laughs> and what they need to better themselves on. Even just watching Euphoria, I don't know if anyone's watching that and is listening, but Rue is such an interesting character. This is like a TV show. Mm-hmm. She has a lot of issues. She's struck with depression, addiction, and a lot of other people's lives are being affected by it. But you just love her and you want her to be better and you want her to you know, do certain things and make the right decisions. Those types of characters, I think, are just so interesting because none of us are perfect. There's none of us. We all have mistakes. We all said things that we don't mean we've all done things that we regret and that's bringing humanity into but if you don't yep. know how to write characters that have problems and issues then you're actually not writing any human that's realistic because we're all at fault at some point and you should always take that into consideration but you also have to make sure that you justify it with their intention if you want the character to be loved and you care for them you want their intention to be good even though they may do something bad. I, I love what you're saying. I feel you and all that. And I'm always drawn personally to the stories that bring character first. I love a good plot twist. Don't get me wrong. I'm looking for the big plot twist. But when you have the characters that can really connect, I feel like you're emotionally invested in the story. And, and the emotional investment feels extra special. And I think that's something so... I feel like authors get so worried about that. Like not letting go. Even with my own clients, I'll be like, you're right. being stuck in some world. You have to let go and let them loose. Give them a little something interesting to play around with and be more raw on the pages, you know, and you don't have to like go overboard with backstory, but you can bring up something so simple just in a course of one sentence where your reader is smarter than you think. Right. And they will take that information and then apply it to that character just in one sentence. 
So you have to figure out how to plant that and creatively and be so aware of it every single time that you're writing. I think that's great at the idea of letting go. Do you think that writers, because I feel like there's a lot of pressure that comes in, write the big hook. Like they think they have to find the big hook because you need a big hook Mm -hmm. to write these stories. When they're looking for that, do you find that a lot of fear for writers becomes about this big hook? If that happens, do you have any advice for writers to help them get out of that and just to let go? Hooks are easier than you think. Like, again, will they fall in love? Will they survive? You know, who killed who? That's the hook. There's always a simple hook. It's all about what comes with it. Because epic love story. It's all a love story. But like, where do you differentiate this novel compared to the other romance novel that's out? Why is this one different? Uh, Okay, it's different because this character has gone through this and this character is approaching this situation. You really have to think about it in the simplest terms, your own life or your friend's life or somebody who's a little bit more interesting and then playing them all together in one fancy big ring Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Mm -hmm. seeing what happens and then having them all collide and then having them all sweep together a nice big bow at the end. Doing character analysis active, so like really placing them into a situation and then writing a scene, you'll start to get to know them better because you are not the character. That's the way of a writer. Like you have to create that character, giving what you know and your knowledge. But again, you can't be them. They have to be different. And if you're writing fiction, then there's opportunity for you to explore with that. For right? everything. You can do yep. anything you want. That's what I say to my clients. You can do anything you want. Let's make this, what Don said, so let's make this worse. Raise the stakes. Even more, right? <laughs> Even more. Pump it up. And then with character, character is so connected to voice, which you mentioned that is really important to you when you're looking for the story. Because I think writers hear voice and it seems voice is hard to teach. It's something that you gain through practice or really understanding the characters. How do you define voice for you and what are some tips that you could give writers in order to help them find their voice or their characters' voices? Yeah, voice is the inner monologue of your main character. But you also have to be restrictive in regards to it not being stream of consciousness. Voice is, is showing your delivery of your main character. The the internal monologue, the way that your character sees what's happening is like just sitting here is something different from what you're going you know, and then how am I going to be able to explain on paper this experience? And it's only going to be that voice. It's only going to be coming from that voice. That is how writers have to figure out them being in their own character's mind, body, spirit, seeing the things through their eyes and being able to approach it on paper. And it's very hard. And and that's the thing. And, and with words... You have to be more cautious about what you're delivering because every word means something, but it actually might mean something different to somebody or even an experience. Like a first sentence can be like, like I'm sitting on a chairlift about to head down this mountain. I don't know who has experienced being. That might trigger any type of feeling for any other writer. How are you going to develop what that character is actually feeling as they're sitting on this? chairlift about to go skiing down a mountain. Only the writer's going to know as they're writing a piece of paper because they know how the story is going to unfold. Why is that character going down a mountain? Are they alone? How are they feeling at this current moment? What just happened yesterday? What happened a month ago? What's about to happen in a month? What's about to happen in a year? You know, you have to really think about that time and place 
writing it in the moment type of scene. And that's where your voice comes in. So it's so many. If you're aware of that as, as you write your voice, like I feel like it comes out so much. Yeah. And also remembering that manuscripts go through multiple drafts. Lots of opportunity. Of course. To get deeper and deeper with that voice as you get there. <laughs> Absolutely. And you create a world and a setting and a scene and you create secondary characters to make things interesting. You create different events. You know, there's always something like I always try to tell my client, we need something to get to. What is the goal here? Because this is a story. It's a circular story. So we have to make it round. We can't have it flat. It has to come to a nice circle at the end. So there's always something to achieve. What are we achieving? What are we trying to get to? Awesome. That is wonderful advice. We are getting towards the end of the podcast. And at the end of the podcast, I do like to do a lightning three. What I do is I ask you three questions that hopefully you can answer in a sentence or less. If you're up for that, you said something that gave me an idea for your first question. So do you feel ready? <laughs> I'm ready. All right. My question for you, question number one in the lightning round is, do you think that writers need to know where the characters are getting to before they start writing? Or do you think that they can explore with that? And why would you think that? In my professional experience, knowing where your characters are going to be does help mm -hmm. you get to the place that you need to be. Yes. Great. Question number two, do you have any tips for how writers can be inspired by the market, but not copy it? You've mentioned that before, and I'm wondering if you can help us understand what it means to be inspired by the market, but not copy it in their own stories. Always pay attention to what's going around in the surroundings, because that's always going to help write your story. But keep in mind that you are going to be best work that you're Beautiful. I love that answer. And question number three, what do you think makes you unique as a literary agent? And why are you the best match for writers who are writing the genres that you recommend? I love what I do. And when it comes to contemporary realistic drama, I have a good handle on it. <laughs> I'm very hands-on, editorial, conversational, and push you to your hardest where some of my clients want to kill me. <laughs> That's but love me at the same time. <laughs> That's great for writers who want hands-on agents though, you know, there's that back and forth. It's just going to make it the best it can be and make them the best writers that they can be. Working in that relationship together is wonderful. Awesome. Thank you, Katie. And then are there any, as a kind of like a little bonus question, are there any books that we should be paying attention to that on your list that are upcoming in 2022? Anything that you'd like us to keep our eyes out and pre-order? Let's see, I have The Roughest Draft, which came out by Emily Wiverly and Austin Sigmund-Broca. We have Horror Hotel, which just came out, which is a big genre, horror, fun, YA novel. Uh, we have Powell, which is out by Sean David Hutchinson which is incredible. It's a hard book, but it's got so many feels. The incredible depth that he put into that book is just brilliant. I have another psychological thriller, Aggie Blum Thompson's Dirty Little Secrets coming out, which is just brilliant. And then I do have another book coming out all the way in the fall called Monarch Rising by Harper Glenn. I don't know if that title is announced yet, but yes, I think so. so that one's going to be very exciting. 
amazing. So those are my books for 2022 as of now. Also, The Secrets of Cedar Farms, another one by Carissa Ann Lynch. She's my USA Today bestselling author, and she does amazing. It's so much love. Wow, what a list to look for. <laughs> That's so exciting. I'll make sure, listeners, that I'm going to put all those titles in the show notes, and I'll put Katie's information so you can find her and Donald Mouse and Letter Agency. I'll put that information in the show notes, but it has been a pleasure and a privilege to talk to you. Thank you so much for the amazing insight that you've given writers on characters, on imperfect characters specifically, and on the big hooks and the stakes and voice and audiobook rights. So many good things that you've talked about in this episode. And I'm just so grateful for you to share that with everyone. Thanks, Abigail. This is awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation on Lit Match. You can find Katie's manuscript wishlist, where to find her, and the books highlighted in this episode in the show notes. If you liked listening to my conversation with Katie and would like to hear more episodes with literary agents, please make sure to pass the show on and write a review. This helps me reach more writers who are ready to query agents or who want to learn more about the writing craft. If you have any questions or recommendations for Lit Match, please email me at Abigail kperry at gmail.com. I'll do my absolute best to answer you. I hope you'll join me for the next episode on Lit Match. And in the meantime, keep writing. I genuinely can't wait to hear when you sign with the best literary agent for your business and writing career and celebrate your book when it comes out.